What's pretty cool to see is that interaction. It's not only cool to just see it, but it's also cool to hear it. It's cool to hear you all talking to each other, whether it was someone you have never met before or you have known for your entire life. It is amazing to see that fellowship happening where you're sharing your life together, where you want to be a body together. That is encouraging to me as it's encouraging to be down there and doing it, but it's really encouraging to witness it as well. And what's pretty cool about this is that at that time that you guys were all talking with each other, you were using words. Am I right with that assumption? You were all using words to communicate with each other. And the interesting thing is that words have had a lot of power and impact on our culture today. Every single one of you here has been impacted by words one way or another. I know for teenagers, you guys use Snapchat and texting and Facebook and Twitter, and you guys communicate to each other through that. And sometimes you're inspired by what someone says, or you make a joke to make somebody laugh. We've all been affected by words one way or another, and not just conversations, but from the captivating written works such as the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis to the magnificent speeches of I Have a Dream by Martin Luther King Jr. to the wondrous screenplays and scripts, and yes, I'm using wondrous for this, such as Star Wars by George Lucas. It is wondrous. You should watch it again. (laughs) To the common conversations of billions of people like we just shared this morning, words have been used to inspire, dissuade, agree, challenge, encourage, discourage, entertain, repel, uplift, cut down, inform, and question from one human being to another. Now, regardless of their use, written or spoken words always have three characteristics. They have a source, they have a focus, and they have a goal. And whether spoken or written, whether we are conscious of it or not, we naturally analyze Okay, who are the words coming from? Okay, we got that. Okay, what's the focus of what they're saying and what's the goal? What is it for? What is it about and what is it for? I have a few movie quotes, for example. So if I say, as you wish, your mind may go to The Princess Bride where Wesley, the source, is proclaiming his focus to the goal of his love to Buttercup. Princess Buttercup, I'm sorry. <laughs> and to you, princess. <laughs> or, or if I say, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Your mind may go to Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, when Samwise Gamgee, the source, has a focus of helping Frodo complete his mission. That's the goal, to destroy the Ring of Power. Now, here's the last one. This is my, one of my favorite ones. If I say, come to the dark side, <laughs> your mind may go to Star Wars. The source is Darth Vader, where his focus was persuading Luke to the goal, rule the galaxy. In all of those movie quotes that I mentioned to you, they contained a source, a focus, and a goal. And if we've watched that movie that I mentioned the quote in, maybe our mind is now replaying some of our favorite scenes. Maybe our mind is replaying, okay, that was the plot of the movie. It brings us back. That one quote 
brought us back to that entire point of the movie. That's the point of the famous quote. And I have to ask a question. If the point of the famous quote, if if a simple quote can remind us of the point of an entire movie, does a portion of scripture remind us of the entire point of scripture? We know that a movie is more than its popular quote. If we just take Star Wars at, no, I am your father, it's like, what's the big deal with it? A movie is more than its most popular quote, and if that quote is taken out of context or not properly understood, that popular quote doesn't hold its original significance, power, and relevance in our culture. If I look at someone and say, no, I am your father, they're like, whoa, dude, back up. What's wrong with you? It loses that. It doesn't hold that significance. And the same applies to Scripture. If we use a single Scripture passage out of context or do not properly understand it, it doesn't hold its original significance, power, and relevance. We have to take Scripture at its entirety. We can't merely take Scripture at a few popular passages. We have to take it at its entirety. And like words, Scripture has a source of focus and a goal. And these three characteristics bring us to understand the main point of Scripture. So, what's the point of Scripture? What's the goal? I'm glad you asked because the best place to look for answers to this question is in Scripture itself. And today we are going to look in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17 where Paul shows the point of Scripture by its source, focus, and goal. And as you're turning there, I want to give us a little bit of context, a little bit of background so we can understand this text. So what we first need to understand is that this is the second letter written to Timothy, hence 2 Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor in Ephesus, and this letter is written by Paul, who was at this time imprisoned and very close to his death. Some biblical scholars have called this his last will and testament to his protege, Timothy. And before this morning's text, Paul is appealing to Timothy to be unashamed and remain firm in the gospel and not submit to worldly passions or teachings, though their adversity is shortly coming. Instead, Timothy must continue in learning and studying the word to remain rooted in God's word. That's what you are reading from 2 Timothy 1 to 3.15. That's what you are reading. And after 2 Timothy... 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, Paul charges Timothy to preach the word. Regardless of popularity, preach the word. But why preach the word? Why continue to even study the word? You see, if Timothy has been given a gift from God and is strong in his faith, as Paul has already commended him earlier in the book, why bother? Why bother submit to this? How can God's word give further wisdom to salvation if Timothy has already received salvation? Why? How? What's the point of scripture? Why is that so important to Paul to say to Timothy? And Paul answers this question in our text this morning. It shows the point of scripture by its source, focus, 
and goal. So let's read the word of the Lord this morning. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for training in right... Sorry, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Before we get into this text, let's pray this morning. Father, we come before you humble. Lord, we seek to know more about you through your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit stirs inside of us and that we give glory to you this morning. And Lord, we think of those who are not with us this morning as um, we pray for Shannon Converse's father who was recently taken to ICU in Fargo due to pneumonia, having a bad seizure and a high fever. Lord, we pray your healing hand on that family. We pray you draw them close. And Lord, speaking of healing, we pray for the Jorgensen family. Lord, may you be most glorified in them as they are most satisfied in you. Bring them close to you. May you be glorified in both of those families. And Lord, we think of our senior pastor, Gary, as he's in Pembina speaking to a congregation. Lord, we miss him dearly. But Lord, we ask that you fill him with your spirit and that he brings your word to that congregation. And Lord, for us this morning, Lord, I pray that you give me the words to speak that are not my own, but words that give glory to you. I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. So immediately in this text, in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul gives the source. The source, Scripture, the source of scripture is from God. Scripture is, it's clearly states, scripture is from God. All scripture is breathed out by God. This book's origin, this whole thing, from Genesis to Revelation, is not from man. It is strictly from God. Yes, it has been physically written by men, but it was not conceived by man's mind or man's hand God used man's mouth and hands to proclaim his words to his people. This book is strictly from God. Now, how much of it is from God? There has been debates about this. Okay, well then this is from God, but this isn't. This is from God, but this was an inference made by man. All of it is from God. All scripture is breathed out by God. There's not one thing in here that is not from him. It is all directly from him. And sadly, some of us Christians think it's okay to read our Bible as if it has perforated pages. God wouldn't say that. That's not God. How can you believe in a God that says that? 
All of it is directly from him. Even the difficult passages. Even the passages that make us sit there and go, what do I actually believe? This is the God I say I follow? Are you serious? Yes, I am serious. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is from God. Even the difficult passages. See, God's word is from God himself. And, God, and he has given his word so we might listen and respond. Similarly, God sent his son, Jesus, as a direct revelation of himself for his glory and for our benefit that we might come to him through Jesus and worship him alone. That is our original purpose as human beings. If you want to say, what's the meaning of life? Look in Ecclesiastes 13. The chief end of man is to glorify God and obey his commandments. That's the meaning of life. It's not live happy and prosperous, live long and prosper, Star Trek. It's to glorify God and obey his commands. That is the chief end of man, and he does this. It is made available to us through the sacrifice of his son, which is what scripture tells us about. It points us to Jesus because it is from God the Father. God has revealed himself to us through his word and therefore we have no excuse to ignore scripture or take it just at its popular passages. We have no excuse. If we're claiming to follow God this morning, if we're claiming that in our own personal life, but we don't read the word he gave us, can we claim to truly know him? Can we say we have a deep relationship with him? It's a lot like claiming to be the number one Lord of the Rings fan, but never read the books. If you hear someone say, yeah, I'm, I'm the number one Lord of the Rings fan. Oh, what did you think of in the fellowship when they go to Tom Bombadil's house? Wait, what are you talking about? That's not in the movie. They would be called a liar. How much more with God? If we are claiming to follow God, but not read the word he gave us, can we claim to truly know him? Can we say we have a deep relationship with him? Scripture is from God. Straight from him. So if that's the source, then what is this all about? What's the focus? What is this about? Well, it's about God. That's what we look at in verses 16b. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Well, you're probably sitting there saying, well, hold on a second. It, that's not exactly what the text says. It says, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. Yes, humans are in the narrative. Let me make that very clear. Humans are mentioned in Scripture 
And yes, humans receive those four prophets mentioned. But it's not about us. That's a mistake we can make. Scripture is not about us. If it was about us, we would be the primary character, we'd be the protagonist, we'd be the champion, but we're not. God is. How do I get that? From the source, what he says in verse 16a, all scripture is breathed out by God. See, God reveals himself through scripture. And by revealing himself, by saying, this is who I am, he then says, and this is who you are before me. This is who you are. This is who I am. This is who you are. This is who I say you are because I created you. I define you. And this revelation naturally leads to profitable teaching, profitable reproof, profitable correction, and profitable training. How is it profitable? Well, one, it's from God. And two, it conforms us to his image. That is who we were created to be. Read Romans 8, 28 through 30. We were created to be God's. We were not created to be independent beings who can do whatever we wish, but dependent partakers in the glory of God and enjoying him for all eternity. That's who we were created to be. It is profitable because it comes from the God who restored us to himself and transforms us through Jesus' work in life and death and the resurrection. Scripture points directly to this this restoration. It's given by God. The story is not about us. The story is about God and how in his great love, grace, and mercy sent his son to die for sinners. That's what it's about. And in that story, that great story of Jesus, that's where Paul is getting these four prophets And I want to look into these four prophets a little bit more in depth. So the first prophet is, and it is profitable for teaching. It's profitable for providing information and lessons that come from God. This teaching is in assessment of God's character. Not ours. If scripture is merely used for inspirational quotes, we have missed the glory of its truth. If scripture is only as good as its most popular verses, usually used out of context, we have misused it and therefore misunderstood God. Scripture teaches us our need for God. Not something we can put in our pocket to make our life better. It tells us, You have nothing good in yourself. Look at him. Look what he's done. Look that he's calling you to himself. You need him. It doesn't say, you know, you're pretty good. Keep going, you know, you're fine. Yeah, you could use God here and here in your life, but in this area in your life, you're a saint. You're perfect. doesn't say that. It doesn't teach us that. The second prophet is it's for 
reproof. It is profitable for reproof. What is reproof? It is revealing our sin and calling us out on it. It's not just saying, hey, there's sin in your life. It's, dude, there's sin in your life. And it needs to get out of you. That's wrong. That's not who you're supposed to be. That's not who I called you to be. This reproof is an assessment with God's character. Since sin rebels against God and does not show forth his character, it is not within our character. It is not in what we did last week that was good, and now this week we're stuck in sin. Scripture must always point us to God and his work of salvation, which then shows our need for it. If it leads us anywhere else, we have not rightly handled the word of truth, nor have we rightly understood it. See, Scripture does not affirm us in ourselves, but it affirms Christ. It affirms Him, because this work of salvation tells us that we are utterly hopeless without Christ. We are lost in our sin. We are lost in darkness. We have no hope to base on our own. That's what scripture tells us. It does not tell us that we are good enough, that we are strong enough, that we are popular enough. It tells us that God is strong enough, God is popular enough, and God is good enough. It does not tell us that we are good. It tells us that he is good. It tells us abandon everything of yourself and lean fully upon him. And in all that time, it tells us you need him. That sin is deficiency. That sin misses the mark. That sin is not who you were created to be. So if it reveals, if it teaches us about God, our need for God, which then reveals our sin and calls us out on it, it then moves us into that third prophet that Paul talks about. It is profitable for correction. This correction, it means it's profitable for intensely superimposing over us to make us straight. Think about that. Intensely superimposing over us while we're crooked, deformed, decrepit, human, depraved beings, it imposes over us to make us straight. This correction is an an assessment with God's character since it is he who completely corrects us. And it's us who are in need of correcting. We get lost on this prophet a lot. Obviously, reproof we don't like much either. Because it tells us, you're not good. But then we get to correction. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't tell me I need to be corrected. We get lost on that prophet because we tend to play the comparison game with others. We tend to look at the people in our pews and compare us to them. We tend to say, you know, that guy right there, he he did a lot of bad stuff back then. I never did that, so I'm fine. We're not assessed with the people in our pews. Look to the person in your pews. Right now, look to the person in your pews. Well, Rochelle, you're all by yourself, so. (laughs) Don't look at yourself or something like that. 
We're not assessed with the people in our pews. We're assessed with the God who put those people in those pews. The comparison game is fleeting. The comparison game is worthless because those people are just as sinful. Comparing sinful being to sinful being is deciding which is better to eat, dog poop or chicken poop. Comparing sinful being to sinful being is deciding what is better to eat, dog poop or chicken poop. That's exactly what it amounts to. It amounts to poop. (laughs) We're to be aligned with the holy God as it is he who saves, sanctifies, and glorifies. Not the person in our pews. Not the person we are sitting next to. Not the person who just sinned last week. We are assessed with the holy God who gave us his word. And it tells us how much we need it need him and it tells us you're crooked and this is what you need to be made straight the final prophet that Paul mentions is training so after we have been told our need for God we are told about our sin and called out on it and we are corrected from it we are now trained It is profitable for training by discipline and directing the way we must go, which is righteousness. This training is an assessment with God's character as it is he who makes us more holy and directs our steps. So where is this righteousness found? This righteousness is found in Christ alone. He imputed his righteousness, Christ's righteousness to us. That's what God did. We didn't do that. We didn't decide that. We didn't make that become effective in our life. He did. And that's what scripture tells us. And these four prophets tell us this. I've said it before, I'll say it again. God is good, we are not. If we were so good, we would not need teaching We would not need reproof, we would not need correction, and we would not need training. Instead, we are sinful and in dire need of these. But how can it teach, reprove, correct, and train? Because it is from God and about God and therefore compares us to God. Since we are utterly sinful and God is utterly holy, we have nowhere else to be looking for this comparison except God, our creator. I'm going to be very honest with you right now. If you're going to read scripture and you're going to feel a little bit hurt by it, it's pretty good. Scripture is offensive to our human nature. It completely offends us. Whoa, I'm bad? Whoa, how could God do something like that? It offends our human nature. How can I say that? Well, I need to get into the later context of this letter in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, because Timothy is later encouraged to preach the word in accordance to Scripture's power. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry." sounds a little bit like America today. Paul urges this preaching of the word since there will be those who do not desire the word but their own passions. Why won't they desire the word? This is so good. This Bible is so good. We get it. We understand it. Why wouldn't they follow this? Because passions don't reprove, don't correct, don't train, don't teach. They only temporarily bring satisfaction. What is this passions thing? It's talking about following your heart. Haven't you heard that before? Well, just follow your heart. Your heart is sinful. Your heart is far from God. Why would you follow that? Follow his spirit for crying out loud. Passions or following your heart merely tell us we're good enough and we're deserving. Scripture tells us that God is good and we are undeserving. But we have hope. We have great hope. Because this teaching, reproving, correction, and gr- training are a means of grace for restoration. To be ma- made back to our original likeness. To be made who we were truly to be made to be. His desire is for us to be his and to live for his glory. He exposes our sin, shows our need for him, and brings us to repentance. Where we need him is everywhere. It's not, we're good here, and then we'll need God here. No, we need him everywhere. We are not good enough, and by his grace, in his son alone, he makes us righteous and holy in his sight. Scripture brings us low, and sees God and puts God at the highest. It brings us low and puts God at the highest. Passions flip the order. Passions say, you're good. God is not. God hates you. While scripture says, no. Brother, sister, you have it wrong. God is good and you are not and you need him. God doesn't need you. Scripture is necessary for our maturity as it tells us about the God we worship and how much we deeply need him and his grace. But isn't scripture empowering? Doesn't it give me inspiration? Doesn't it tell me what to do? Yes, but it is empowering not because it is meant to make us feel good, but because it declares a holy God who graciously teaches, exposes, corrects, and disciplines his adopted children and heirs. It's about God. It's not about us. So if we have who it's from, it's from God, it's about God, then what's the goal? Who is it for? 
The goal is God. The goal is God. I get that from verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Yes, it equips us, but for what? For every good work. How can we begin to do every good work? Through Christ alone. And what is every good work for? Every good work is for the glory of God. Since it is from, from and about God, then it leads us to the goal. It leads us to the point of Scripture. Scripture points us to God. We are not the goal. God is. We are not the end to the means. God is. You see, Christ's work in life, death, and the resurrection is the greatest work of all, and it was authored by God and given to us. And it was all done to the glory of God. We look to Christ's work, not our work, because we can only be complete in Christ. That is the only way. Paul says it in a later letter in Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You can have hope in the previous authoritative sacrifice of Christ because he's going to bring it to completion. It's like what Pastor Gary said a couple weeks ago. We can be steadfast because he is faithful. We have no other hope but Christ. Everything in Scripture is to point us to God and his glory and therefore equips us to give him the glory. And he graciously brings his children in through the blood of Christ to partake in his glory and glorify him. For the man of God to be complete, it must be brought about by God. When the man of God is complete in the day of the Lord, God's work in the man brings glory to himself as the man of God brings him glory by being equipped to do every good work. This can only be done in Christ. This cannot be done by our mere efforts. This can only be done because of what Christ has already done. God works through his word to equip and complete the man of God. It's not merely an inspirational book with mere words, nor does it show us how to live our best life. Yet, it points us to God and the work of his son in life, death, and resurrection. It directs us to glorifying him in every good work we do, which is established and brought to fullness by him through Christ. But doesn't scripture have a place for us? Isn't there something that is, it's there for us? Yes, to glorify God. We are equipped by the Holy Spirit in the word of God to achieve the goal through Christ's effective sacrifice, which is ultimately glorifying God the Father. Scripture is from, about, and for God. God is the source, focus, and goal of scripture, nothing else. Scripture has power since it comes from the Father, been fulfilled by the Son, and is illuminated by the Holy Spirit. There is power in the Scriptures because its goal is God alone. It is authored by God alone. It is about God. And we are mere benefactors of it. This is a benefit for us. From page 
one to the end. So then some questions arise, though. Why do we read Scripture? Do we read it as the good Christian thing to do? Do we read it to receive daily inspiration or encouragement? Do we read it to know more? Do we read it as an instruction manual? How do we, why, why do we read this? How do we even begin to read this? See, we all desire to do good. Is that right? We all desire to do good, be inspired and encouraged, and know what to do, and we can, we can find that in reading Scripture. I'm being very clear. We can find that in reading Scripture, and none of these things are bad in and of themselves, and Scripture does clearly hit on those items. But here's the thing. However, when you read it, with those things in mind, to be inspired, to be encouraged, to do good, when you read it with those things in mind as your primary focus, we can become lazy, discouraged, or unfocused in our reading. Think about it for a second. When you have picked up the word of God and said, okay, I'm going to receive my daily inspiration today. How often has that worked? Has there ever been a time where you sat there and said, I, I'm not getting anything out of it today. This is hard. It feels like sandpaper on my heart. It feels like it's telling me something that I really don't want to hear right now. I don't like that. Sure, we may read it every day, but does it radically pierce through our hearts? Does it bring us to worship the God of the universe? Do we read it in light of the main point of it all? How are we able to even begin to read and understand that Scripture is from, about, and for God and be encouraged as we read it? I'll give you the reason. The reason is Christ. Because of the precious blood of Jesus and his sending of the Holy Spirit to his redeemed people, we can have hope when we read. We can have it radically pierce our hearts because of what Christ has done. Because if we read scripture without the sacrifice of Jesus, scripture would become more or less a storybook slash instruction manual. And it would make little to no sense to us. And nor, and nor would we be able to begin to obey any of its commands. But we have hope. He has graciously given us his word so we might know more about him and therefore be continuously transformed and conformed to the image of his son. Reading scripture without worship of Christ will leave us into boring duty. I gotta read it again. We can read, understand, and be brought to worship because of what he has done through his son so we might be his and live for his glory. This then leads us to a genuine worship of him and acting to glorify him. Reading in light of God, the point of scripture, can then bring us encouragement and inspiration to do good for his glory. So when you read this week, when you open scripture this week and read, do you read, do we read, because we desire nothing more than to know more about the one who has saved us from the pit of hell. When we read this week, do we read it because we desire nothing more than to know, worship, and obey the one who has redeemed us from the pit 
of hell which we were previously destined to. May it be so today, tomorrow, and until our faith shall be sight. For there is nothing better for us right now than to trust and obey God our Father through his holy word he gave us to tell us about himself in order that he might be glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, surprisingly enough, that it brings us low and it puts you at the highest. We thank you that you have not left yourself without a witness. And we thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, we would be nothing without him. In fact, we are nothing without him. This week, Lord, may we follow your word. May we read your word in light of that it's all about you. I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.